Hello, welcome to Remember When. I'm Carl Schulteis, president of the King of Prussia Historical Society, and I'll be your host for this television series. Upper Marion Government Access TV and the Historical Society are continuing this series as an oral history project of life and community in Upper Marion Township. In their own words, we want the people who live the history of Upper Marion Township to tell us about that history. This edition features Doris Freeman. Doris came to Upper Marion Township in 1957 after graduating from college and marrying her husband, David. Doris tells us about raising her three sons, being active in the League of Women Voters, and her role in establishing the former Wolfson Library. She was involved in the Upper Marion Area School District in a number of capacities for over 20 years, and to this day, still remains active in the community. Let's sit back and listen to Doris Freeman, Remember When. I want to talk about what you remember about King of Prussia and how you got here. Where were you born? I was born in Plentywood, Montana, and that's a town with very few trees, but uh, it's, it's out there. Prairie country, mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. different from Pennsylvania, right. just uh, grass and hills. We called it uh, coolies, little hills, mm -hmm. prairie country. Right. And uh, you went to school out there? Yes, grade school, high school in Medicine Lake, Montana. Yes. Okay. And then I went on to the University of Montana in Missoula, not Missoula, like Missoula oil, Missoula, <laughs> Montana, which is uh, in the western part of the state and uh, in the mountains. Very lovely area. And uh, went there for, graduated at the same time as a David Freeman. And uh, we were married and uh, decided to come east when the University of Pennsylvania was the first responder to applications for him to be uh, in architecture school. So that's how we landed in this wonderful state of Pennsylvania. And while you were here, you decided to stay. And how, how did that work out? Uh, well, being raised in a small town, I always looked, um, I always do eye contact, even in a city. And one day uh, I was at work at my job in Broad and Chestnut Street out for lunch. And who did I see but a fellow, you know, in the lunch swarm at Broad and Chestnut Street, but a fellow graduate of the University of Montana. And she had married Dolph Zink, who was the developer of uh, Candlebrook, Brandywine, along with his colleagues um, at um, a mortgage company, and uh, they needed, uh, Dolph needed a draftsperson, a part-time draftsperson. And so, and we all were very good buddies. We were bridge playing buddies and so forth. And so, but David uh, did some work there. And little by little, as our family grew to three, well, it was two plus, and we decided that jobs were not coming up from Montana, where we had intended to go back. Uh, but this really was a, a lovely area. And we were offered uh, a house in Cinnamon Hill when that part of Cinnamon Hill opened up. And so we took it. And it happened to be, we think, the choice uh, spot in the area because we owned the spring house for Tayback Farm. It's a wonderful old Pennsylvania field stone with, uh, we have two creeks, we call one Freeman Creek. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's just a lovely, lovely spot. And we've always felt that putting down roots there was, was very satisfactory. 
Now, I will tell you that we do try to go to Montana. We visit our, our, our relatives and friends out there as often as we can because it's still a wonderful place. But uh, we do think that our second state, Pennsylvania, is a very good place. And Upper Marion has, I think, uh, has the uh, best of a lot of, of opportunities here. Well, uh, what was Upper Marion like when you got here? Oh. Well, first of all, we were uh, we had um, civic associations. Uh, depending upon the uh, pitch of your roof, you belonged to the civic association that um, uh, was described by the builder. Uh, you know, we had the Cinnamon Hill Civic Association. Um, things were uh, all young people, and in the daytime, it was all strollers and, and kids. Um, many people, we had one car, so the husbands went off to work and the women stayed home and took care of the kids. Uh, the schools were crowded when we first came in 1957. There were split sessions at the high school in those days. Some kids went very early and, uh, and so on. So there were some very, um, some big struggles in terms of starting the schools, such as, uh, well, we watched Candlebrook, first Candlebrook be built. Mm -hmm. Uh, Belmont and then and and Roberts, but we uh, the district was essentially just um, just growing up from uh, from the farms and so on. And King of Prussia was only you know a a, a part of Upper Mary, and it is not uh, the whole of this township. I mean the area in uh, west toward West Conshohocken and Bridgeport and so on. I remember doing. Um, all the shopping uh, in, in Norristown for a while, and then our A&P uh, opened up, and that small shopping center, uh, now uh, it's Valley Forge Center. Um, it, it was much, um, well, we were just growing uh, leaps and bounds, yes. When you mentioned the high school, you were talking about the, uh, what's now the Marion Building at the Henderson and Gulf Road? It must have been, yes. Yes, it was, because we didn't build a new high school until 1963, I think. Yes, yes. But, and I just remember uh, sort of rumors about that, because our children were, uh, were little at the time. But I remember that uh, many of the parents said, well, we want that to be ready by the time our kids get there. And we were very active in the parent-teachers associations and so forth at Belmont. And, and um, uh, so we started out as a, a vigorous um, educational, what shall I say, standard community. I'm, I mean, focusing on educational standards. A lot of the general electric influence there, I think the engineers who had come from good schools and, and uh, demanded that we look into, uh, you know, high uh, standards. I think that was very important in those days. Yeah, the parents as a group were very involved in, in their PTA programs. Uh, yes. I can remember attending PTA programs and was you know, like standing room only. Right. <laughs> yes. I can remember doing blue and gold dinners for Cub Scouts. I can remember doing the, you know, these activities for um, all those kinds of things. Everyone was very much focused on family and children. Um, I can remember the, the park system uh, slowly getting, I can't remember the names of, of people who were starting that the idea uh, with the three uh, township supervisors, which we had at that time, that we should have parks, for instance. Um, 
And I was active also in the League of Women Voters. That was my, (laughs) it was a lot of fun. There were wonderful, wonderful women who were also involved. And we, of course, all went by our husband's name, Mrs. David Freeman, Mrs., you know, everybody was, um, uh, Mrs. Harry Schuler was a wonderful, wonderful leader of our League of Women Voters. And she was the um, person that the Board of Supervisors um, who was Howard Walker, um, I think Bill Ross, and I, I'm not certain of the third person at that time, but she was the chair of the committee uh, that was appointed to look into the township manager form of government. And then they brought, um, I think she was also the chair of the search committee that brought us Paul Flynn, who incidentally, along with the leaders in the community, but he certainly was the spark plug of the whole idea of the industrial park, which uh, was controversial. I mean, there were a lot of people who just wanted residential properties. Um, and then when you study the, the question of the ratio of the rateables of the mm. tax base in Upper Marion, he was very good at teaching uh, people that that wasn't going to hold in the future. And of course, his vision um, of this community is, um, is, I think, coming through. Now, of course, I stay out of the traffic. <laughs> I don't get into gridlock. Uh, and there are a lot of people that, that hate Upper Marion for that. I yeah. think that um, there, you go anywhere in this country, anywhere in this world, and there's traffic because of our individual and, and um, group demands for moving around. So I don't think it's only here in Upper Marion. As a matter of fact, I think that the control system of the way they've got the lights figured out, the way they've got the turns and and so forth, I think it's wonderful. I do remember we had a funny little car when we first started coming to to, uh, the Tayback Farm, which is now where Frank Batista lives. We would come up at that point, Route 23, which is, is uh, Henderson Road, and come chug, chug. And by the time you had to stop at Valley Forge Road and shift to get up over that hill and turn left, and I don't remember how, I mean, there were many times when we kind of backed down the hill because this car wasn't really working very well. But, but now you know how you, I come to that corner. It's really nice to have that left turn lane. It all works beautifully. And I think that our traffic people are doing the best they can with what problems exist here. So. You had told me earlier a funny little story about the traffic in the early days. Well, I will say I went to get the mail one day and I had, well, maybe two boys and a big dog in the back of the station wagon. And there were, I, I went to get our mail. It wasn't delivered in those early, early days. The post office was right next to Peacock Garden and um, the old antique shop there. Which, Little, is, which is now Pizzerina Uno. Pardon? Which is now Pizzerina Uno. Yes, know. yes, that one. But then the the post office was actually a very mm-hmm. tiny little portion of that building, which I think is gone now, which right. was, I believe, the Morrison's Antique Shop. That's correct. So I um, got the mail, when I got the boys back into the car, got the dog, you know, in the right place and so forth, and came out in, onto 202, only I was going north in the southbound lane. And I thought, uh-oh. Looked, you know, all the way to Bridgeport, there wasn't another car coming. So I just thought, saved again by something, and just turned and got on the right lane. But in those days, 
that could happen. So if you want to know how changed we are from, um, from 2002 mm -hmm. back to those days. That was 1957? 57, yeah, right. So, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> Traffic's changed a little bit in the last... Yes, a little bit. A little bit, <laughs> yes. 40 but, years, or? Yeah, yeah. Well, my idea is that change is our only constant, and you have to get used to it. So um, I think there are lots of pluses. I, I think our, our community is a very good one. And I think that the way we've done um, the schools and the township, I, I feel very, very good about uh, living here. Right. When you first came, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the plaza uh, was, was not here? Oh, no. No, no. So no. you really, they really the, no, the shopping. No, that was, they were fields. Yeah. They were fields, yeah. yeah. No, I, I shopped at Chatlin's in Norristown. Yeah. Um, and, oh, there was another wonderful place. I can't say the name. Uh, uh, for women's clothes, that yeah. was lovely. But uh, those places, and of course, they just went out when we had, I think it was Corvettes was one of the right. first. Um, but uh, shopping was definitely, there wasn't any. There wasn't any. Uh, so we used to, I mean, I would take David to work so that I could have a car one mm -hmm. day a week. I would, you know, right. I can remember our boys crawling under the things at, at Chatlin's, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. uh, and I'm trying to harness them mm -hmm. while um, uh, doing the, the, the shopping. family shopping. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, then. The, the local shopping area then was, but now is uh, the Valley Ford Shopping Center. Yes, oh yes. And that, the drugstore, the Lovett's drugstore, and there was a, a gift shop, uh, Acme, uh, and of course, as you know, Walton and Perry. Perry's yeah. was uh, original. That yeah. was very original. Um, but those were, uh, yeah, there were, you could eat two places, Perry's or the Peacock Inn. Peacock Gardens yeah. it was. Yeah, we had a shower for... Um, no, someone had a shower for our first sons um, there before their wedding at the Peacock, and it was lovely. We took oh, it was it was very uh, very traditional. As I say, we were Mrs. Mrs. David Freeman. Mrs. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the Wolfson Library was just adjacent to the to the Valley Forge Shopping Center. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, Tell us about that story. Ah. Uh, well, that started actually with Dolphin and Zinc. We were playing bridge um, at our house. And um, I had had, with a, a couple of people in the League of Women Voters, we had talked about the fact that there should be a, a public library. Also, I had been active in the, the first few, the founding part of, along with Elaine and Jim Parvin, of the King of Prussia Players. And we were trying to read plays. And so I would have to go to the Norristown Library, get these books, and we would read these plays. And I would haul them around. I thought, oh, we have to have, I mean, there has to be something closer. And then kids' books and so forth. We would take our children dressed for uh, going to bed. And David would go in and get his books at the library. I would stay out in the car with the three frisky kids. And then he would stay with them while I went. And we thought, there's got to be a better way. So I contacted uh, the Norristown Library. Anyway, through the League of Women Voters and an interested group of men in the JCs, we had this group that talked about a public library. We had a couple of meetings. The night we were talking over bridge with Dolph and Ann Zink, I said something about the library. 
uh, movement. And Dolph said, oh, what do you need? I said, well, we just need a lot of money. <laughs> and he was the executor for the Nat Wolfson estate. Uh, Wolfson had been uh, in the leadership of Eastern Mortgage Service Company, which had been the, in, the developer of Candlebrook, Brandywine, and Cinnamon Hill, and other, uh, many other uh, uh, developments in both commercial and housing in the Delaware Valley. Uh, and Dolph was an executor, so there was money to be had if there were projects which were um, appropriate. Well, he thought that a public library in Upper Marion Township, and of course I said, oh, you bet, that's <laughs> right. So we had the, we, we worked out the criteria, and that's when we started to work with the township supervisor, with Paul Flynn, who was very interested. They were very supportive. I happened to bring today a document, which was our report of our, we called our committee, the Upper Marion Library Committee. And we made a report on January 23rd, 1961. And this will shock Carl Helliker uh, and all the library staff and the library board. Uh, we said that we could run and, and have a wonderful library in Upper Marion Township. <laughs> for $32,500 a year. Now that probably <laughs> would keep our present library going for two days because they do a wonderful, wonderful job and they've expanded far beyond our dreams in terms of what we hoped in 1961 the mm -hmm. library would be in our community. Mm -hmm. I mean, now they have programs for children, they have book discussion groups, they have wonderful reference service, they, they just, they have a I think a very good staff, and so, um, uh, so the answer is yes. We started a library. A lot of interested people. We called. Ah, you'll love this. We had a um, a, a community drive for funding to help with the, the Wolfson grant and with what we hoped the township would do. We promised that we would work uh, vigorously mm -hmm. and energetically to, to get money. So we called this the pursuit of excellence. Now, how do you like, like that. that for <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> you couldn't fight that. Yeah. That's like apple pie. So anyway, every civic association was invited to offer something to the public library. And believe me, they did. Every organization uh, came along. I'll never forget the wonderful feeling that the board had when we accepted the $1,000 from the Rotary Club for reference materials. And it was things like that from Swedesburg, from Swedeland, from uh, all the civic associations, and, and uh, even church groups came forward to uh, provide uh, for either uh, certain books or um, services. Some of them said, we want to work for children's things and so forth. And so it was, in those days you could do that because um, we would write press releases for, uh, I think it was seven newspapers, like the Times-Herald, the, the uh, Courier, and, and, and uh, it doesn't matter. But, and write press releases, and they would print what we wrote, and we would write that. The Reverend Herbert Beardsley today accepted uh, yet another fine mm. check in support of, of Wilson mm -hmm. Library for Upper Marion Township. And they ran these, and they would send photographers. I mean, we managed to do a very, um, it was a campaign, Dang. but the papers were behind right. it. 
and they kept people very well informed. Now, I will say that that's one thing that I really uh, miss is a is an up. I wish that Upper Marion had a, a newspaper that really uh, did um, was that our news is more easily yeah, attained. Right. You know, uh, we're split between uh, uh, Inquire regions, I believe right. there's the the main line. Well, we're not the main line, and yet we're not the Montgomery County. We're right. not uh, up up, you know, right. uh, Abington um, up that way. We're a, a special uh, area here, and I think that um, I, at least I don't find it very easily. So, physically, what did the original Wilson Library look like? Well, it's still there, but it's been much changed, and um, it was the very cheapest building that we could, you know, get the space in. Um, and then we we finished it. In, I remember we called it the three 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 plan. Um, all right, no four four four, three times four. There were four thousand square feet for the first um, uh, when we opened it up. Uh, and that was the adult section with the children's section far. Well, and of course you could shoot cannon through and not hit a book at that first opening. <laughs> um, and then the second phase was to be uh, 4,000 square foot finished for the children's area. And then we wanted to have, and this shows how very far behind we were, we wanted to have a 4,000 foot addition for stacks. Well, you don't do stacks. I mean, by the time um, that idea was, I mean, you, that isn't the way libraries work anymore. Uh, and then, of course, we, we were very, very, uh, I wasn't on the board anymore, but uh, the fact that the township building uh, in the construction or reconstruction or, or redevelopment of this facility uh, with the library, I think it's just, it's just a wonderful um, space and, and very functional. So, or at least I think it's functional for the people. Seems, I, it seems, it to, seems be. to be. Yeah. It certainly is from my viewpoint. Yeah. So, yeah. A little bit later you became more involved with the schools, didn't you? Yes. Well, after the children were off and doing their thing and I decided that I could, uh, oh, and I was very interested in libraries from the outside, from the development point mm -hmm. of view, and I decided rather than being the English teacher that for which I had my training, I would go back to school and get my qualifications the qualifications for a school librarian, which mm -hmm. I did at Villanova. And my first year was 1971, and our school board, uh, with a few promptings from the community, <laughs> uh, said that they would hire full-time librarians for every elementary school. And that was another thing that was a, a standard that we hoped to have. And I didn't realize that I would be one of the first people to do that. But by the time I um, got the tickets to be a school librarian, they did that. And I was at Robert's School for a uh, little over five years. And uh, that was great. That's well, a great well, place. The, the first elementary school that they built of the modern generation of elementary schools. Do you remember which one that was? Whether it be I wonder Belmont if it were, or, or I think it was Candlebrook. Candlebrook? Yeah. yeah, I think it was Candlebrook. Uh, I'm not certain though. Yeah. I do think Candlebrook yeah. and then Belmont, yeah. and well, I'm not certain of that. Yeah. The, the it's, chronology were, there. A lot of them were built about the same time. Yes, they were. Yeah. Yes, and as you know, they shared some uh, design uh, factors. Right. I think the three, Candlebrook, Belmont, what? and and then of course they broke the mold probably fortuitously, to go on to Cayley, which yeah. was built by a, with a different design. Yeah. And I think that that's 
probably uh, held up a little better. Yeah, that was probably like 10 years later, though. Uh, yeah, when they that's built true. When they built Cayley. Cayley was built in like 65. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah something right. like that. Because they built that after I moved in the community, which was 63. Oh, I see. Right. Yes. Well, uh, the, the things that I particularly look at is the library in the schools. And mm. I know that Cayley's actually um, was very, um, it was very tight because it was sort of a circular stone. Um, it was to be the center of the school. The only thing was the center of the school with a stone or, or brick walls was not expandable. And the role of the library in the contemporary education uh, with the media being so much in technology, so much part of how we deliver instruction now, uh, that that was very short-sighted. Again, it was something of the design um, in our minds in the library board when we first had the idea of stacks. I mean, that goes back to the old uh, cloisters in, right. you know, somewhere. <laughs> so. right. You were also involved uh, in the Lincoln Center at Bridgeport? For a very brief time, yes. I was on their board because I uh, had, uh, I had interest in, um, and I knew the, I can't say the name of the very good uh, person who was in, uh, the uh, director of that. I can't, she was just very good. And, and uh, they asked me to be on the board. I finally, well, I think I was only on a, a couple of years. We did help raise some money for buying that building in Bridgeport. But um, I felt there was a little bit of a conflict of interest because by that time I was at the high school and I was working with some of the youngsters, and that made it hard to be on both sides. So I did resign. I've, I've always felt that, that uh, that's a very good uh, group to do the kinds of alternative programs that families in, uh, in Montgomery County need. I think it's very important that we are able to um, you know, this idea of, and uh, leave no child behind, I think mm -hmm. is an excellent, excellent uh, idea. We've had it, we didn't say it quite yeah. as, as succinctly exactly. before, but that's very, very important. And we have never, I'm, I'm sure you know this as a pediatrician, we have never reached the potential so that we, you, you know, you don't ever think you really know how much these kids could learn and, and how skillful they can be. And uh, so I think that that program is so necessary. Originally, there were three school districts, Bridgeport, West Conchahokan, and Upper Marion. Yes, they? yes. Okay. Do you remember when they were put together? It was early 60s because I remember the League of Women Voters at the state level was very much lobbying for the uh, what do they call that? The school redistricting program. Okay. And of course, you know, we still have something like 505 school districts in in Pennsylvania, which is far too many in terms of governance. There, there are very small school districts for whom you can't truly provide, you know, physics two and trigonometry, all those, um, uh, all the enrichment kinds of programs. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, Bridgeport and West Conchahawken came really kicking and screaming into the, into the merger, and rightly so, because I think that it was a very, there were 
uh, the promises were certainly not very easy to spell out to con convince them. They really didn't know how things were. And I was very discouraged when I, I was in the middle school as an assistant principal. And there were people who would say things such as, oh, well, they're from Bridgeport. I mean, you just can't believe that they would label other people's children by where they lived. And so rightly so were, were these communities um, a feeling that they would get short shrift. And some people were, you know, that was obviously not true of the great, great majority of, of, of people in our community and certainly not of our, of our teachers and our, our administrators. I was very pleased when the Bridgeport School was the one that got the first designation as the Blue Ribbon Blue. School because Sal Rotundo and those parents and those teachers, that staff and our superintendent had worked so, uh, that the whole community in that, you know, focusing with that, the school, I think that's just wonderful. And they should be justly proud. And I feel that they are truly, that it is the Upper Marion Area School District. Um, so I hope that, uh, you know, that kind of building, it does take a long time for those kinds of integrations to work. But now I think they work. I always felt that uh, Upper Marion and Bridgeport were different kind of communities because uh, Upper Marion was a lot of newcomers and yes. young families and yes. people who were moving in from other areas, whereas felt Bridgeport were primarily people who grew up and right. lived, lived their whole life in Bridgeport and their families and, yeah. and the cousins and the brothers and the sisters lived down the street and, uh, and it was a much more tight-knit uh, uh, family right. type of it uh, was. community. And, and I think it probably has that. However, now, uh, again, change is our only constant. And I think that there are uh, uh, that more and more people, and, and I don't know if you know how diverse our community has become. I was interested, I'm, I'm serving on the diversity committee at the school district, and we got some t statistics about a week ago which show the, the ways that our minorities, uh, the um, Asian population, for instance, in our community has grown. I was surprised, I think it's like eight or nine percent sure. now. And so we're changing, we really are, uh, you know, and of course, I'm delighted when the sort of um, the traditional, you know, the white male is no longer in charge of the world. I think that women, you know, have have brought uh, so much to um, the the world, but mm -hmm. also uh, women's lives have changed. And therefore, uh, those changes mean family changes and we can cope with these changes. That they're going to be fine. We don't have to look back and say, "Oh, the you know." I mean, those were kind of the bad old, good old days mm -hmm. for a lot of, of people. So I feel that, uh, and we really were focusing on uh, the the old families and so forth. Those family bounds bindings are very important. 
um, and we we don't want to destroy that family. But you know, whose family? Who's going to define what a family is in the year two thousand and um, and beyond? And I think it's really important. Again, going back to the nurturing of every individual, every student, every person, um, and we can we can do that. Well, the the role of women has changed somewhat in our in our society, uh, as you said. When you first started out, you were pushing a baby carriage. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Right now, I, uh, mothers come in and uh, they sometimes feel lucky if they're home for you know, a couple of weeks after they deliver their baby. Right. Yes, <laughs> and, I know. And then yeah. it's back to work. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think some of that's unfortunate for, I mean, that people uh, don't feel that they can stay home with their families. And I remember, I feel so fortunate that. I have no guilt feelings at all about my children because mm -hmm. I think I would have been, if I'd stayed many more years hanging over their necks, I probably would have been, you know. In other words, it was very right that mm -hmm. I go out and find my own career, which mm -hmm. I loved. I loved it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I feel that um, it, there, are, uh, there are terrific pressures now for women to choose to be, you know, super mom, super everything, and it and it does. You can't. Sometimes you can't do that. Mm -hmm. See, so you were involved in a lot of other things uh, in the uh, domestic violence programs and this type of thing. Um, you were involved with police policies and, and uh, with with a model police policy. Um, after I retired, I was appointed to the Montgomery County Commission on Women and Families. And that was in 94. And you remember that that was when OJ, the OJ Simpson questions were coming. And our county commissioners asked this group of women to tell them if the county were doing enough about domestic violence in Montgomery County. And they said, why don't you have a meeting? Well, a thousand meetings later, <laughs> we found that, of course, nowhere except maybe five cities in the United States was there really a full uh, first public awareness of how that problem is really a problem. Mm -hmm. And it goes across all, um, all um, economic ranges, ethnic ranges, no matter what religion you have. Uh, there is domestic violence and a lot of times um, abuse of children, uh, including, I mean, wife abuse, but also in, including uh, children, child abuse. Well, I knew nothing about this, and I can remember I was just as, uh, I said, well, why doesn't, why doesn't the woman leave? I mean, you know, anybody slap me mm -hmm. or I would leave. Well, that is not a choice that a lot of women have because of many, many, many factors, chief among them, loyalty to their children and economic binding to the breadwinner and the fact that they probably have not skills that are marked, you know, they just, mm -hmm. and then by the time this is happening over and over, they've lost confidence. Anyway, to make a long story short, we found that in Montgomery County, there was a great range of police response to domestic violence. And how we found this out was working with uh, victim service organizations who said that won't name any names, but some police force just tells them the you know takes the the batterer and says walks the, him. Usually it's a man. Ninety-seven percent of of a, uh, violence in the home is perpetrated by the man. 
walk him around the block and say, don't do that again or we'll, you know, we'll come again. And of course, send the woman back to her mother with the kids or something like that. Well, that is not going to work. And so what we found was there were some very good um, patterns of response that police uh, uh, in all in our county. And I will say I'm pleased with the way Upper Marion and I cite names of people uh, on the force who've done a very good work. Uh, Chief Lawler, um, uh, Bob Duber was involved with us and Jeff McCabe and, and others, I'm sure. But uh, we worked to find the, what we called the best of the best. We got the copies of all the police policies and then we, we uh, gave one and, and uh, in other words, we simply took what the best police departments had now, we're, I'm very proud of that because that document called the best of the best is now a part of the police academy's curriculum. Uh, the people who, choose, who teach responding to domestic violence use that document as a guide to walk new police uh, mm -hmm. officers to be through what can happen. And I just think that that, uh, again, a group of women working, we had police representatives, I say, um, uh, Bob Duber, Jeff McCabe came. Um, we had police um, people from all over the county helped with that. And the victim service people who had been the pioneers who took women in when nobody else uh, responded to their, uh, their need. Um, and of course, there's Laurel House uh, in the county. There's Montgomery, um, uh, Montgomery Women's Center. And there are many groups now who, who work right directly with families that have this uh, tremendous problem. You're involved in the school, getting back to the school yes. involvement. Um, you know, how many years were you were part of the school? Uh, 20. Four, 20, 20, yeah. 23, 23 yeah. years, I think. What was the biggest change you saw there in those 23 biggest years? Biggest change? Ah, oh, the kids' attention spans in there. Uh, when I first started with kindergarten kids in Roberts School, they could sit still, they could be very, um, you know, they sort of, and a lot of them had not been to daycare, I guess, but they could be taught to be very, um, to hear stories and things like mm -hmm. that. And then it got, when I was working, I'll never forget, with the, with the senior class in 1990, and I thought, they can't sit still and listen to anybody for more than, you know. And uh, this was a whole auditorium full of, mm -hmm. of students. But I truly thought that this was a very, uh, a, a, a a change which I felt was negative. Now, I think that maybe I was remiss that I didn't know how to be, you know, David Letterman or something, mm -hmm. or even more. Um, and, and teachers have had to change their, uh, their way of instruction. I mean, absolutely, because the, the children that are, you know, they're not sending the best kids anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the children, the range of what children uh, bring to schools now is so different from when I started. Very, yeah. very different. Is, is there any specific reason that you can, that you see that's going on? No, and I, I actually, I think it's probably 
I think w schools can change to, to do that better. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I hadn't been in the classroom for a long time, so it probably just stunned me. But um, I don't, I, all I can say is that, that we, I don't really know the answer yeah. to that. My wife says that, uh, that uh, she has to compete with TV and the TV stars and the entertainment that they exactly. present. And the kids see that and compare what you're doing exactly. as a teacher and right. say, well, you don't match David Loderman, as you point out. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you're a bore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm off somewhere else. And, and the idea that you might have something that is important, uh, I think, is, is hard to relate now. But as I say, I'm sure that there are ways. We've got to. I mean, we can't wring our hands and just say mm. this is a terrible thing. Yeah. We've got to find ways to teach and make, and, and it may be through, hey, it may be through TV games. I don't, I hope not, but, I, or what are those, uh, you know, those, and, and the opportunities that now that technology afford us with, with um, uh, all, you know, even spell checks, which I don't, I don't use, but I'm a good speller. But anyway, uh, I think that we have got to, again, you have to, be proactive, mm -hmm. and that's a very difficult order mm -hmm. when technology is coming at you from every direction. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the negative. How about a positive change that you saw? Positive things I saw. Oh, I think, I think the kids were still very. It, it's wonderful to see their talents and their enthusiasms. And I mean, it's the. It, it, that's the whole. You know, you see the future, and you know there's some great, great. Kids. I, I see the diversity of opportunities for our senior high school students. For instance, yes. just the other night I went down to watch uh, uh, Damn Yankees. Uh, oh, on, oh. And uh, they did a fantastic job. Yeah. I, was, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe the, the quality of the, of right. the, of the production. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I know that there are a lot of other things that go on in school, yes. that, and these, the students have uh, uh, a wide range of opportunities yes. to learn different yeah. things and technology and so on. Yeah, um, yeah. I would think that that would be one of the, the a, a big change that would have taken part of Well, uh, and I, it isn't recent, but I'm very pleased with, with Title IX. I mean, women's opportunities. I couldn't put my foot on the basketball court in my high school because only the boys played basketball. I mean, uh, that, and people would say to me because I'm, I'm tall and they'd say, oh, you look like an athlete. Well, ah. Uh, I don't know if I'm an athlete or not. I never had any kind of an opportunity to do that kind of thing. It was only boys, and I think it's just marvelous. It's wonderful when our girls, um, my grandchildren, and I have four granddaughters, and they all know how to do something, probably two or three, sometimes four sports, and they all know how, I mean, I've never been in a locker room. I, you know, I just think this is a wonderful, wonderful change. Again, that's a policy change that, that was a long time in coming. Um, and then I think that the fact, in, in, our, in our township, I think we do support a great range of extracurricular activities. The library is, you know, I think, I hope, I haven't been, there in a few years, but I would hope that they uh, support those kinds of, of extras. Not extras, they're not extras. They should be just considered part, but many times, uh, 30 years ago, they were considered to be extras. Um, 
So I think that uh, there, this this school district, I think, is still doing pretty pretty good things, really. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what have you been, what are you doing currently? In terms of <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm uh, pleased with this diversity committee. Um, uh, we are we had a survey of what might need to be um, done in terms of the school district, and that work is the action planning for that is just going on right now. Um, I'm on a community outreach committee for the Montgomery Bar Association, and I've been very pleased to work. Uh, with the Elder Law Committee on a uh, what we call the Elder Law Handbook for Montgomery County, and it's a first in the state, which is um, it's a good effort to make legal information. Now, it's not instead of a lawyer, but it's to explain legal issues to uh, that especially um, are important to senior citizens. And the next step, it was published in 2000, and the next step is to see that through a revision, and then I'm, we're hoping, and there are all these wonderful young whippersnapper lawyers who are very good, they, they um, uh, contributed each portion, and then I was uh, the, uh, the coordinator in terms of what I called user-friendly language. But now we want to uh, hope to translate it into Spanish for the Spanish community in Montgomery County, and I think that's a, a nice a nice thing. Um, and then th we, well, I'm not sure how far we're getting with some of the other issues in that committee and so on. The other thing I'm trying to do is um, get rid of a lot of um, I won't call it debris, but. When I left our little town in Montana, my parents, it was 700 miles to the university. And in those days, uh, uh, long distance telephone calls were very expensive. So my parents said to me, well, you write once a week or we'll call you collect. <laughs> so of course, guess what? I wrote once a week religiously. Well, my parents saved all those letters and I was used to writing. So I wrote a lot of years until, until uh, long-distance phone calls became very inexpensive. Right. So I have files, you wouldn't believe. I think there are four drawers that need to be gone over, and I'm trying to work out what is worth saving for our grandchildren. That's a big job. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. Yeah, okay. Well, a, that's more of a personal level <laughs> yeah. Yeah, than, a, than on a... Uh, than community on a, level, community yes, level. definitely. But that's... Well, the other thing is I'm... I'm uh, I'm involved in local, um, the local uh, campaign now. I think that we're in for an interesting time in terms of our, uh, again, I, I'm very um, interested in women in mm -hmm. office. And I think we've had some very good uh, people, good candidates, and so I'm kind of back working in that level. But I was trying to, uh, I have a friend who I called her to do something, and she said, "Don't you hear the chain rattling as I as I move here?" <laughs> and and I said, "No." And she said, "That's the chain to the the sorting job, right. <laughs> and that chain is rattling on my ankle because every time I take time, if you take an afternoon away from the sorting, you sort of have to go back and get your head together again. Whereas if you just sat for a whole, you know." 
but I don't think I could ever do that. Mm -hmm. So, but of all the of all the changes that have happened to uh, Upper Marion, what do you see as uh, uh, as the most striking? The most striking. Well, I think it's all just a natural uh, evolution, I guess. Yeah. I don't think it, I mean, I'm not surprised at anything. Uh, I mean, I don't really like the traffic, but as I told you earlier, hey, what are you gonna do? Sure. You're gonna say that there's traffic everywhere and you, you know that. Um, the most striking thing, I, I would hate to say, I think that just a lot of us are getting older. That's striking <laughs> enough. Uh, it's striking to me that uh, these young people are, are uh, you know, active and doing things, and I think that's great. But I can't really suggest any anything that just rolls me no, over, Carl. It's yeah. all it's all been. Uh, you, you you couldn't see it exactly coming, but every place is is. Uh, Evolving. Yeah, these changes seem to be all interrelated. Obviously, the traffic yes. is related oh, to yeah. being a commercial center. And, oh yes. Yeah. And uh, then uh, we've changing the, changing the from a sighting of the interchange of the of the turnpike was essentially the spark of, of uh, wasn't it? Don't you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I think mean, so. that was certainly. If it had been ten miles west or five miles east, uh, it would have impacted another geographic area, yeah. and um, and I can remember coming through. Uh, we were on our honeymoon, and we were trying to get to Nineteenth and Chestnut Street. We came through here, and we saw King of Prussia three. You know, we thought that was crazy, and I can remember David is driving. I'm reading the map. Kohn Shohokan or something yeah. like that. I'm trying to read these names. Bela Sinwide, you know. I mean, we're working yeah. on this, right? And we're looking. Finally, we get into Philadelphia. We are lost for three hours in Fairmont Park. And finally, we find this hotel. And we think, well, we'll stay overnight. And then we'll head back, back west. The next day, we did have one phone call, uh, a friend of David's sister. And we had, so we called her before. We were going to say, you know, uh, and she called. She lived one block down Walnut Street, and they said they'd be right over to, pick, to get us. We had to come and have coffee with them. It was a Saturday morning. Had to come, and they were having a party that night. and. Her husband was a student of architecture, so David could meet all these fellow right. students and so forth. Well, I mean, we never, you know, <laughs> we never changed course right. after that. So the friendliness, I think, and outreach of some nice people, you know, that's the world over. And that's why uh, we're, <laughs> we're still around. So That's great. Well, I really appreciate you coming today. Thank talk, you. Talk it was fun. It was fun to look back. And I think of all the people that, you know, over the years, it's been an amazing community, amazing place to, uh, what does it say, to live, to work, and, and so on. So it is. It's a great place. Yeah. A lot of fun. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, too, very much. My pleasure. <laughs> My pleasure. Okay. That's it for this edition of Remember When. I'm Carl Schulteis, president of the King of Prussia Historical Society, and your host for this series of Upper Marion Township's oral history. If you would like to make a suggestion or comment on this program, please use the following contact information. Thanks for watching. Until next time, and always remember when.